0: Good morning, Pillar Church. Good morning. Um, my name is Jose Davila. I'm a member here at Pillar. Um, I'm just uh, up here. I have uh, something I'd like to tell you guys here. Um, this month is actually Pastor Appreciation Month. And here at Pillar, we do have some pastors that, um, you know, we do love and we do want to show our appreciation for. Um, I have a verse here. I'm going to read to you. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says here, "Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine." Um, You know, this is uh, this isn't the easiest um, you know easiest thing to be called to do to have to do, and and, you know we recognize that. Um, So um, we've actually asked our pastors for their prayer requests um, throughout this month, and uh, for each Sunday we're going to be honoring and praying for. uh, A different pastor. Uh, This week it is actually Pastor Eric. So I would like to welcome up Jeremy and uh, Pastor Eric.
1: Thank you. Um, As we honor Eric, I wanted to do two things. I want to pray for him, but I also want to give praise unto Jesus. As I was crying out for you, he said, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, and the majesty do his name. So one of the, the two character qualities that Jesus has nurtured in Eric that I admire most are his genuine love for people. You can't have that without having met with him. And the other is that in everything that he does, whether it's coaching or leading, serving us, or even as a dad, he wants to give God all the glory. So that's the reason I want to ascribe to God his glory, because I know that's what he would want. So um, what I would like us to do corporately is, as we pray, this is real simple, lift up your hands to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord, for the way that you love this man. And you have proven it in your son. That's it. We thank you, God, for Eric and his life. Thank you for the way that you have proven your love for him. Thank you for your son. Lord, thank you for your mercy today. We give you all the glory and the honor. It's already yours. It was always yours. Everything has been yours, God. You haven't lost a thing. It's all yours and we give it unto you. We surrender our lives unto you. We recognize you as God Almighty. The great I am that I am, the beginning and the end. You are, oh God. And because of you we are. We thank you for calling us your children. We bless your name, oh God, for calling us from darkness into light. We thank you for what you have done in your Son by reconciling us unto yourself and offering us to know you. All that we are are yours, and all that you are are, is ours. Bless your name. Greatness is yours, O God. Power and glory is yours. Majesty, victory, it is yours, O God. Dominion over all things, it's yours. We exalt your name. We bless your name because there is no one like you. You are redeemer. You are the reconciler. You are God almighty, our protector, our refuge, our rock. You're our treasure. You are the gift. You are precious. Glory is yours, O God. Thank you for honoring us by wanting and desiring to know us. And to be one with us you are so amazing we give you all honor and glory for this man's life. we give you all honor and glory for what you're doing. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus mighty and holy name. Amen Thank you brother.
2: Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, y'all. I just wanna, I just wanna say, without Eric Dajon, there is no Pillar Church. And so that man loves Jesus, and he loves you more than what y'all might know. That man has labored in prayer for you guys more than you would ever know. And so when he says that uh, he's a man of the people, that is that is that man. And so all glory to God for sending him our way. Uh, good morning. My name is Canaan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. Go ahead and open in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Mark. To the Gospel of Mark, we're going to take a short break from the Exodus series, and we're just going to look at Mark chapter four. Go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter four. I'm going to read a section, and then we're going to start working through uh, the second section of the text. Um, in your bulletin or your handout, you should have a cross-reference sheet, or it should be on there. Um, I'm going to frequently reference those scriptures, and I may reference more as the Spirit gives, and so. Have that. Use that. If you don't write in your Bible, write on that. I may ask you to write something if you're a writing type of person. So just know that. All right. Uh, Mark chapter four, verses three through nine. Listen to the word of God. Consider the sower who went out to sow. He sowed some seed and it fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and it choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still, other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, Let anyone who has ears hear, let anyone who has ears hear, let anyone who has ears, hear. Who has ears to hear, listen father we're grateful for this text and we're grateful for what it means and i ask you lord that you would uh, expound this word unto our souls and that the seed that is sprinkled upon our hearts this morning uh, would find good soil and that we would hear the word and be changed ever changed as a result of it lord we claim no power in and of ourselves we claim no strength, no ability in and of ourselves. All the good we've done and all the good we have is a gift from you. There's nothing that we can do apart from you, Lord, for a tree cannot bear fruit if the branch is disconnected from the vine. And Lord, we endeavor to be a people who are connected to the Lord Jesus in such a way that we produce much fruit in this place amongst one another and on our and in our city as we seek to engage it. And I pray that the deceitfulness of sin would not grab hold of us and that the desire for glory will be not named among us. But that we ascribe the glory to the one who does the hard work you Lord Jesus That as we engage in war on these streets we would not do so with weapons of swords and battle axes, but with prayer and love that we would be strong and courageous to be vulnerable and to be gentle, that we would engage in warfare on our knees via prayer, that we would utilize the word of God and its principles to bring about all that you desire for it to do and accomplish. Anything we do in and of ourselves apart from you is not worthy. But if we do things in your strength, your might, for your glory, you will bear the burden of sustaining that. And the burden of continuing the work is no longer on my shoulders or on their shoulders, on our shoulders, Lord. It is shouldered by you. Our our arms are too short. Our shoulders are too weak. Our knees can't hold the weight, but you can. But if we build false castles, then we have to hold the bricks on our shoulders. And before you know it, Lord God, we will buckle under the weight. But if we do it for your kingdom and your glory, we don't have to hold that weight. We can just trust you and move in the way you've called us to move. Help us to move this morning unashamedly and help the text do its job in our hearts. Lord God, make us bold as lions, but gentle as doves. Lord, we thank you. Let me give you all the praise in Jesus name. Amen. About two plus years ago, um, this church started with the aim of leading people closer to Jesus and each other. Our desire is to see you grow in in, in proximity to Jesus, and through growing in proximity to Jesus, you inevitably grow closer and in proximity to one another. It's like a triangle diagram, where if Jesus is at the apex of the triangle, as you move closer to him, you move closer to each other as well. And we want to see that happen here. But in our work on, uh, on the street, whether it's been personal evangelism or corporate evangelism, or it's been gathering and serving in our community in various ways, we have encountered various types of people. We've encountered some people who flat ignore or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've encountered that. That's there. We've encountered some people who, upon hearing the good news of Jesus, accepts it for a time. But as the pressures of being a Christian weigh on their shoulders, they kind of distance themselves from the Lord and from his people. We've engaged with people who, upon hearing the gospel of Christ, heard good news, but then as they looked outside of of themselves and it looked at what's going on on these streets and in our political environment they started to lose hope in the lord who supposedly saved their souls their eyes got fixed on what was going on out there and the idea was what what could possibly help that and so they've they've produced no fruit because they've abandoned the answer but then there's been some whom we've shared with and engaged with, who you've shared with and engaged with, that heard the good news of Christ, and that hearing did something to them. It changed them. It transformed them. It regenerated their soul. They're no longer the same. Something is different, and they can't even put their thumb or their finger on it. And it's endured. It's almost as if Jesus got a vice grip on their heart, like they couldn't leave if they wanted to. I remember there was a time shortly after I became a Christian. I became a Christian in 2005, and this is maybe 2008 or 9. And I'm sitting in my room, and I'm like, "There is nowhere else to go." I'm thinking in my head, "If I could leave the faith, could I? Would I? Should I? What am I missing out there in this world? And if it wasn't for Jesus holding on to me and reminding me of truth, I would have been left. But the reality is, there's nowhere else to go. It changed. It did something to me." There was no, nothing else I could do. I was like, okay, Lord, you're Lord. This is what it is. I had to give it up. And praise God, he has a, a vice grip on me. My question for you this morning is, do you relate or identify with any of those peoples? Because those are the peoples that are represented in this morning's text. Now, what I don't want us to do this morning is to listen to the word and, and, and then project what we want to be in light of that word. Sometimes we hear a word that's hard and that's true about us, but because we've projected ourselves to be a certain way, we don't believe that it's true about us. And so the word kind of, and you're thinking about everybody else. What I want you to do this morning is listen to the word of God, because the word of God is for you. Have no one else in mind, but yourself. Listen to hear if, if the word is speaking to you. Yes, it may remind you of your mother or your friend or your, your nephew. That's great. But the word of God under, the, under my voice this morning is for those who are sitting right here, right now. For those who are listening online right now. This is for you. And so your heart posture has to be this morning. Lord, search me to find that there is any evil way within me. That's our posture this morning. That's your posture. That's my posture. We're gonna do that this morning. We want us to be where Jesus wants us to be because all of us in this room are in different places with Jesus right now. You guys remember Genesis chapter three? Adam sinned and God asked him a question. Genesis three nine, it's in your cross reference sheet. What's the question that God asked Adam? Where are you? Y'all remember that question? It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. God's omniscient. He knows where Adam was. He was talking. He was looking at Adam when he talked to him, probably. The question of where are you was for Adam. Adam needed to recognize the state of his current affairs. And God wanted to draw his heart back to him. And so he said, Adam, where are you? And that's what God is saying to you this morning. Where are you? Because you have different experiences, you have different cultures, you have different uh, backgrounds and how you were brought up. And so all of you are on a different place with God right now. Some of you this morning want to believe God, but you don't. Some of you this morning are wrestling with the concept of faith. Some of you this morning are on fire to hear the word of God preached to your soul. You're all different. It's, It's a mosaic in here. And Jesus is asking you, where are you? That's what the point of the message is this morning. The passage is going to help us identify possibly where we are. And hopefully God will lead us to where we need to be from the passage. And so let's look at the word of God. Mark chapter four. We're going to look at verse 14 now. Verse 14, Mark chapter four, verse 14. The sower sows the word. Stop there. Got to bring clarity now. The sower, the, this, this person who's defined as the sower is the dispenser of God's word. Okay? We don't need to get all extra deep like, oh, who is this? Is this Jesus? Is this? We don't have to do that. It's, the person is the dispenser of God's word. That's what the sower is doing. And the seed that he's spreading is the word of God. So the sower sprinkles the seed. The dispenser of the gospel or the, or the word of God is proclaiming it to people. That's what's happening in the text. Now notice the job of the sower. The job of the sower is not to till the ground. Not his job. To till the ground is akin to manipulating the heart. That's not his, his, his job right here. His job isn't to enhance the seed. Enhancing the seed is akin to manipulating the word. Not his job. His job is to sprinkle the seed to do it gently, to do it with care, to do it with wisdom, to do it with knowledge, to do it under the power of God, but his job is to sprinkle the seed on the soil. That's his job. Sometimes in our engagement with people, for those of you who desire to share the gospel and try to share the gospel, we're overly concerned about manipulating the heart before sprinkling the seed, but you're a sower. The heart is manipulated through through prayer and the spirit of God. You sprinkle the seed on the heart. You do it with care. You know the soil. You know you sprinkle it this way. Good. But your job isn't to get your hands in there. What happens sometimes when we get our hands in there is we damage the soil and it can no longer sprout or produce anything. Because we're not experts in this. God's the expert. He tills the soil. He'll prepare the heart for the word that is proclaimed. But you just put the word on top. That's your duty. That's your job. Spread the seed. Do it carefully. Do it with with tact. But your job is not to till the soil, nor to try to enhance the seed. Have you ever tried to share the gospel and it sounded foolish as as it was coming out of your mouth? And so what you tried to do is make it sound more palatable to the person you're speaking to? Nah. The scripture says it was that foolish word that saved you. And it's the foolishness of God that's wiser than any wisdom of man that will save the soul of the hearer. We can trust the word to do what it's supposed to do. That is the promise that God has given us. Look in your cross reference sheet at Isaiah 55. Listen to what God says about his word in in verses 8 through 11. God says this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Already he's distinguished. He's putting a distance between us and him already. My thoughts, not your thoughts your ways, not my ways. You see that? God is already saying what you think is cool, cool, but that may not be what I want. What you think you want to do may be cool, but that's not my ways necessarily. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse nine. Now listen, now listen, listen to what God says. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's he saying? Trust me, I'm higher than you. I know what I'm doing. If God created humanity, and humanity is whom he's commissioned us to proclaim the gospel to, then it would make sense that God knows how to communicate his gospel to the humanity that he created. It doesn't need... Y'all ever have, y'all, y'all ever have a really good steak and then the person you would put sauce on it? You ruin the steak when you put that sh- human ingenuity on top of it. Don't do that. The steak stands on its own. Delicious. I want a steak. It stands on its own. The chef knows what he's doing. He, kn- he studied your palate. He knows what's delicious to you. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 55. He says, just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout, providing seed to sow and food to eat, just like the rain and the snow come down and so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. The word of God does its work. Know what that just did for you? It took all the burden off of you. You don't have to... Sow the seed. Outcome, God promised. Whatever his desire is from the outcome of his word, spread will happen. His ways are higher than your ways. Don't till the ground. His ways are higher than your ways. Don't enhance the seed. Let the word do its work. Spread it liberally. Just spread the seed everywhere. And let the Lord do what he does with it. And we pray. We labor in prayer asking him that he finds good soil for it to fall on. We want good soil. Don't get it twisted. But our job, you can't make bad soil good soil. We don't have the ability to do that. We try. We mess up the pH balance of the soil. And we wonder why everything we plant doesn't grow. Because we're killing stuff. Let God do that work. I was at a friend's wedding um, a couple months ago. And... I, I did. I was performing. The, I was um, officiating the wedding, and at this wedding, at the reception, it was a very small reception. My friends gonna kill me. I told you this story. but I don't care. The, it's a very small reception, and it was a reception in such a way where usually with the big weddings of my people, you know, you have 700 bridesmaids and 700 groomsmen, and everybody come into their own song and they dancing. And, you know, that's how we. That's how we. It. But this one, you know, the bride didn't want that. She wanted a small quaint. The first thing they were gonna do at the reception was the father daughter dance. Okay, that was gonna be the first thing. it was gonna be beautiful gonna be beautiful and my friend my good friend he's a DJ and the time came and you know the bride walked in and she, she grabbed her her father's hand and they get to the stage and they stood there and they stood there and they stood there And, stood there. and everybody's looking around with music they're waiting for the music and so I'm over there looking at the DJ too like bro. what's good and he comes over, he fixes it and he comes out and he says to me this. He says, Canaan, I had one job and I ruined it. He was so busy helping and doing everything else that he forgot about his one singular job, play the music. So the bride could dance with her father, but he was concerned with everything else. He was doing this or that he had one job. He came up. He was so embarrassed. He said, okay. I had one job and it's funny. We're concerned with everything else his life has to offer. Y'all are thinking about everything else right now. But in all of that, know this. You have one job, Christian. You have one job. That the bride would dance with her groom in in this scenario. That Christ will be proclaimed and that many more will come to wed our Lord Jesus. You have one job. Sing the song of the gospel. That's your job. Let the dancing begin. Spread the seed. Don't be a bully. Don't be gentle. Be kind. Be aware. Be be aware. Be considerate. But in your job, in your occupation, in what you do, I don't know what all of you do, but you all have interactions with human on a daily basis. Your duty is this. Of course, you want to do what your boss tells you to do. Be faithful. Okay? Go to work. Don't be calling out. Do all right. But you have one job. You've been commissioned by the king to do something. Not your boss who has a boss, who has a boss, who has a boss. No, the king of heaven and earth has commissioned you as his disciple, as his follower, as his redeemed. You have one job. So, so. Jesus is going to give us an inside look at what we're sewing on now in the text. We'll be throwing the seed at. He's going to give us an inside look. And like I said, he's talking to you. Think of no one else. He's talking to you. Look at Mark 4, verse 15. Some are like a word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. If you're a writer or you're a doodler on your Bible or in your cross reference sheet, underline the word here because I'm going to help illuminate that term at the end of the message. The word here matters. This soil, the soil on the path, illustrates for us people who have ignored or rejected the gospel. And I don't know about you, but when I share the gospel with people, and somebody ignores it or rejects it, my instant question is, why? Like if I tell you good news, it's, it's reason for rejoicing. Why would you reject good news? It always seemed irrational to reject the gospel to me. It was funny because I rejected the gospel for so many years until the Lord opened my eyes, right? And so for you. But it always seemed irrational to reject the word, why? According to the text, why is the seed not sinking into the soil and doing what it's supposed to do. The, the, the soil is hard. It's a path, right? Foot, feet walk on paths. It compacts the soil. It's hard. It's compacted. The seeds don't sink into hard and compacted soil. And then what Satan does is he comes and he snatches the word right up off, top of that, uh, right, right off the top of that mug. Easy pickings because the word never it didn't get deep into anything. Satan comes to take the word from our hearts, and according to to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, he does so, so that, this should be in your cross reference sheet, Luke 8, 12, so that they may not believe and be saved. As long as the seed sits on the soil, there's potential for for that person to be saved, but Satan doesn't want that, and so his duty is to come in and get the seed off the soil as quick as possible. Get it off. Get it off. Pluck it away, as represented by the birds in the passage. What could this metaphor look like in real life? It could look like a lot of things, but the thing that I have seen the most frequently is the concept of trauma and its use of hardening hearts. Trauma hardens hearts so that even when the individual hears something that's true, there's, there's scar tissue around their heart in such a way where they can't accept it. They can have no logical reason for rejecting it. No philosophical reason for rejecting it. They have a traumatic reason for rejecting it. That's some of us here who have experienced church hurt. Some of you online who may not show your faces in this place because you've had church hurt and it's made you callous or it's made you skeptical. Some of you in this room under the sound of my voice have been abused by spiritual leadership abused, not called to the carpet because of your sin. That's different. That's good. That's called shepherding. But some of you have been abused by spiritual leadership. And one of Satan's tools is if he discredits the messenger, then in our mind, he discredits the message. But that's not necessarily true. We are all flawed people proclaiming an unflawed good gospel. But when you've had a traumatic experience, when somebody has hurt you. That's what happens to us. And Satan's game is this. Get them while they're young. He wants scripture to be misused so that trauma occurs as a result of the text. Oh, what a good scheme. That's that, that's that's just that's move. Use the text to cause drama in your heart so that when the text is preached, you want to reject it hard heart. I think about how the Bible was used during the transatlantic slave times and shadow slavery used to hinder the freedom of slaves when it's the very truth that would set them free if, if all of it could be exposed. I think of wives who have been abused by their husbands because there's passages read out of context. that say to submit, but they have no idea what that, con- what that concept means, and neither does the wife, and so they use it to bludgeon their wife, and now when the word of God is preached to the wife, the wife has a callous, not an intellectual, not a realistic reason, but because their heart has been damaged and traumatized and bruised as a result of the word, Ah, I don't know if I could be around those people. I don't know if I could be around that word. He wants to get you while you're young. A lot of the traumatic experiences you've had with other people happened when you were young. And now you're skeptical about believing and being around other people. That's true. You know why you're not vulnerable now? Because something happened to you when you were a child that trained you that vulnerability equals pain, I don't want pain, I won't be vulnerable. And when you're not vulnerable, you forfeit community. And then you but but the problem is you are built for community. So you long community, but you won't be vulnerable for community. And so you are lost in this spiral conundrum. And everywhere you go isn't good enough. Yeah, I went here, but uh, no, no real community here. There's circles around here. Why well, did you open up to those people Nah, because you know people what you going to do? He got you in a trap. When you forfeit vulnerability, you forfeit your healing in many ways. You only heal to the degree in which you share. I don't know to pray for that and to be gentle around you for that if you don't share that. I don't know. I could be bludging you. I could be hurting you and talking to you every day and I would never know because you're afraid to be vulnerable. What that also does when Satan scars us at a young age it gives us a false perception of strength this happens especially in my black and brown brothers and sisters where we feel like we can't be vulnerable we ain't got time for that weak sauce we got to we got we got work to do out here that's the opposite of strength that's cowardice to hide i know it because i do it i buy the lie all the time i need people like jim and I'm telling me the truth you okay you know you could be vulnerable right cuz be believing the lies Strength is I don't cry. Lie. Strength is I don't share how I'm feeling. Lie. I'll tell you right now, my my week went by so quick. My week was full of I don't know what kind of a dark cloud was over me this past week. Bad. Wife couldn't help me. My friends couldn't help me. We were just there. And because I've not been vulnerable from a child, I don't know how to be vulnerable now. I I don't even know what to say. I don't have the words. What's wrong? I don't know. It's only words that come out of my mind. I don't know. I'm tired. But my family can't pray for me if they don't know. I bought the life for so long. I'm callous in certain ways. It's hard for me to speak. So I need, I need people. But like, yo, are you feeling like this? You need some space? I need some space. I'll come back tomorrow with that. But they don't leave me alone because they know I bought into a life for so long that I'm callous in certain ways. So it's one and other things that the scriptures be talking about. Strength is being able to confess the reality that you're not as strong as you think you are, that you need God's help to get you over whatever hump or scenario you may be in. That's strength. That's power. that's, That's manhood. It takes strength to love and to be vulnerable. It's easy to run and hide. So what happens to these folks is for some of them, they're traumatized. Their heart is hard. We sow the seed. It doesn't sink but there's still potential. And the birds come and snatch the seed off the soil. And the question is, is that you? Are you the person that cringes under the preaching of the word? I know some musicians who are that way. They hear, hear a sermon and they cringe because of their past. Is that you? Go ahead and confess that. Don't be alone in that. No more. Bring that to the forefront. Some of you hear the, the good news of the gospel and it does nothing to you. Confess that. That ain't good. That's a sign of scar tissue. The message of grace, mercy, and value in Christ becomes skepticism and unbelief. We don't want that. Jesus gives us another type of soil. He gives us another inside scoop on another soil. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. Mark chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. It says this. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear, remember that word's important. When they hear the word immediately, they receive it with joy. So beautiful, but they have no root. They're short lived when distress, when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Now, if you're an underliner highlighter, because of the word is what you should be highlighting or underlining here. This is not talking about the hardships of life in general that caused this person to fall away. Nope. This is hardships because of their profession of faith. This is somebody who hears the gospel. Once they hear it, they rejoice that there's a, a, the lover of their soul has seen them and snatched them from his wrath. They rejoice in that. That's great news. They start going to Bible studies and they start volunteering and doing things in the church. And then when they go home, they even open the Bible and try to read a few verses, try to get a little word up in them. All of these beautiful early signs of regeneration are taking place. It's a beautiful thing. Have you ever planted anything? And that first sprout, y'all know that feeling. That first little psh, outside the dirt, and you're like, ha ha, what you do? You throw a little water on that. It's exciting. But the text says that it's short-lived why there's no root there's no root because there's rocky soil there there's no root because when the winds of persecution blow they abandon what it was they formerly had joy in in the first century during this particular era there was a lot of persecution on christians specifically There's been uh, historians that have written that Nero, who was the emperor of Rome, used to use Christians to light his gardens as candles. Just off a profession of faith, I'm going to use you and light you on fire and let you light up my night sky as I come out of my castle and look at the horizon lit by the bodies of Christians. That's persecution. People were quartered because of their faith. Y'all know what quartering is? Quartering is when they tie each limb to a horse, a separate horse. And simultaneously, they smack the horse and each horse runs in a different direction. And, you know, horses, they don't always run straight. And it just twists and pulls your limbs, sometimes clean off. Because they're Christians. During this particular time, especially during the era of the Acts of the Apostles, A lot of the Christians were financially cut off from their their places of employment because of their faith in Christ. You see, one of the reasons we find such unity in the Christians in the book of Acts is because they had to be with one another. They had to sell their possessions and to survive together. Persecution was heavy. It was hard. And guess what? None of you have experienced any of those things as a result of your profession of faith. But don't let their experience minimize yours. We haven't seen this kind of torture in generations upon generations centuries. Today, your profession of faith will cause you to be a social martyr in this culture. It's not cool to be too loyal to Jesus. You can talk that Jesus stuff so long as it doesn't get in the way of the movement. And so what happens is, when we proclaim and we believe in Christ, while we're amongst the body of believers, we do it unashamedly and with joy. But when the culture starts to bite, we pocket Jesus for a little while. That's some of y'all. Where in here you're bold as a lion, but out there you pocket Jesus because you're you're afraid of the smoke of the persecution that it may come. You're holding a little too tight to this Jesus. You're, You're seeming a little. What are you holier than thou? That's what they say. And then you go, oh, no, I'm not holy. Uh-huh. That's what we do. As soon as loyalty to Jesus makes you uncomfortable, you pocket him. As soon as loyalty to Jesus hinders your occupation, it hinders your job and your sales, pocket them. That's what you do. I know it's what you do. I do that. As soon as Jesus calls you to misstep with the popular notions of the culture, you pocket them. As soon as the word of God tells you to do something you don't want to do, or you want to do something that you know the word commands you not to do, what do you do with Jesus at that point? Pocket them. We're we struggling with the same thing. It's not physical for us, it's more mental, social, emotional, persecution, and disobedience. What are you going to do when the tension between your loyalty to Jesus and his word and the culture collide? Where is your loyalty going to be? Guys, I want to warn you something from the scriptures. This isn't Canaan's warning. It's the warning from the Apostle Paul. Look at your cross-reference sheet. 2 Timothy 3.12. This is what he says. All who want to live godly a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some of us read that we read that and we think we're going to be able to escape the persecution. That we're going to be able to fit nicely in with whatever it is, you know, whatever the culture is selling us. So we're going to be able to fit nicely in whatever forms of persecution is waving. We're going to be able to dodge it. But the likelihood, the probability is that you're not going to be able to dodge it if you're holding strong with your fidelity in Christ Jesus. It's going to bite you, it will. And if it doesn't bite you, it's a teller as to where you could possibly be. When distress and persecution comes because of the word. Do you really want to be known for accommodating the fickle culture? You don't know that our culture is going to be saying something different in five years. (laughs) Now bump that five days. This is always changing. Oh, it's this way. You say that for five minutes, you are already out of step. Oh, I'm going to step here now. We're this way. Y'all got about five minutes. Let's see how long this one lasts. Oh, this was 10. Good job. Now you got to step again. But the enduring word hasn't changed at all. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Follow with me in your cross-reference sheet. This is what he tells us. And our duty is this. think, Think through this. Our duty is to live out and proclaim and spread a Christian culture that's righteous through all different areas and arenas of life. It's wrong to just come to church on Sunday and think you're doing Christianity. You're not. And that's not what I'm saying. All of your life should touch the reality of the Savior and his work. Because it touches all areas of life there's nothing to void there's nothing separate you're a personal trainer we got to take care of the temple of god race and justice god hates injustice oppression is at all he hates it with all of his heart he says take care of the widow and the orphan and those who are oppressed take up their cause isaiah 1 he says it's there it's in the text it's the heart of god we don't need the culture to tell us anything Listen to what he says. John chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Pause there. Wow, that's convicting for me. Because I think through if I'm... Am I accepted by too much, too broad, too many? Not of friction. Friction's part and parcel with the gospel. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have a little bit of friction. Verse 19 says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But look what he says. He continues in verse 19. He says, however, because you are not of the world, but because I have chosen you out of the world, The world hates you. He says, if you were, but you're not. Don't get it twisted. You belong to me first. Verse 20 says this. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Verse 21. But they will do all of these things on account of my name. Just like the text says, right? Because of their faithfulness to the word, persecution comes. He says they're going to do all these things on account of whose name? Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus, the the word incarnate, because they don't know the one who sent me. Are you afraid of the friction? Are you the one who pockets Jesus when persecution about your faith arises? When someone clowns you because you're a Christian, what you going to do? Because you love Jesus, what you going to do? Are you going to pocket Jesus? Is this soil representing your disposition? Maybe. Jesus gives us another soil. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. He said, others are like seeds sown among the thorns. These are ones who hear, again, hear the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth in in the desires for other things, enter it and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are the people who can't keep their eyes on Jesus. This one was kind of a catch all for a whole lot of others. It includes idolatry in many different modern ways. Look what it says. It says that they're easily distracted by the worries of this age and by the desires for other things. These people fall, these people fall away from the faith because everything around them presents itself as bigger than Jesus. That's what the text is, 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 is leading us to. Everything around us is presenting itself bigger than redemption in Christ. During these last two and a half years, people have left the church. People have left Jesus because of COVID. People have left Jesus because of race and justice issues. People have left Jesus because of politics. People have left because they perceive that those things are bigger than what our Savior can handle. And so it's kumbaya Jesus until that thing looks like it may out. It looks like it has bigger muscles than our Savior does. And then it's like, oh, well, this isn't going to help that. What could, he, what, could the, what could the gospel of Christ ever do to for that? The implications of the gospel in our lives. How does that impact our, our responsibility to one another? And so what do we do? We abandon the gospel or we abandon the church or we abandon Jesus because we want to solve a big problem, but we ignore the very answer that brings the salvation to it. I get it. In the moment, these things feel big. These things feel huge. These things feel all encompassing, and they are big, and they are huge, but they ain't bigger than Christ. Jesus remains on the throne, and y'all realize that Jesus has sat on the throne through every pandemic and sickness that this world has ever seen? He wasn't dethroned. Jesus sat on the throne during every issue of injustice that we've ever seen in all of humanity. He remained on the throne. Why all of a sudden he's too small to deal with our current day issue? Why all of a sudden is Jesus impotent? He's not. This, I wrote this. If your response was to leave Jesus or his bride because of these issues or the issues of this world that you're you're so focused on rather than represent Jesus and his bride in the midst of these issues, then this soil represents you. If you've had the inclination to leave Jesus and to leave his bride, to deal with the issues you see on these streets and in this political arena, instead of representing Jesus in the midst of those, in in, in the midst of these uh, areas, political arenas and areas of injustice, then this soil is you. Your eyes are somewhere else. The worries of this world have turned you to things that will never solve the problem. False idols that will never deliver. You believe in your ingenuity is going to solve the problem. Nope. Not apart from the spirit of God, it's not. Our understanding of, and this is an issue that is historical in the church, is that our understanding of Jesus is too narrow. And this is one of the reasons why I said coming to church on Sunday isn't doing Christianity. Christianity. It's a part of what the believers do. It says they gather and they do the one another's. They loving and encouraging and serving and handing and praying for one another. They do that when they get together. That's what the text says, but it, it leaves them. It, it's not supposed to leave them. As they leave this building, Christianity doesn't leave them. It doesn't leave you. You bring that to your neighborhood. You bring that to your neighbors. You bring that to the issue on the block. You bring that to the community meetings. And you speak biblical truth in the midst of that reality. You represent Jesus and his bride in the midst of that reality. No matter what lies they may think is the, is the solution to the issue. If it's not wrought from the principles of scripture, then it's some kind of man-made sauce that you're putting on this steak. You're going to ruin it. Took their eyes off the prize. That's what this soil does. And I'm tempted to do that. And you're tempted to do that. Be honest. That's you. Be real. That's you. The reality is that the gospel, the son of God does work in these areas and we can never let those things overfocus focus us. Um, you guys, how many of you guys know of little kids or maybe you, you were scared of the dark when you were a kid, right? That was me. I ain't gonna lie. i was scared of the dark. I said, nightlight or TV, something got to glow. I need light from heaven above. I need light. Why was the dark scary? can't see. You were so focused on the reality that you couldn't see that you forgot everything else you knew. Mom told you truth ain't nothing in the dark that you ain't gonna see during the day. You don't believe it. You're so focused on the dark. Everything else pales in comparison to the dark, no matter what truth you may hear, because the darkness is right before your eyes. You see nothing else you worry about. All you're thinking is "It's it's dark. It's dark. It's dark. It's dark. It's dark. And then that darkness leads to other kinds of thoughts, right? Where it's like, well, maybe there's a monster under the bed and all that. But the light doesn't even fix that necessarily. It's the reality that it's dark. That's the problem. You're so focused on the the issue in front of your eyes that you've forgotten the truth that can bring remedy to the issue. It's left you, it's fled you because the issue's too big. If Jesus sits on the throne and he loves me and cares for me, and no matter what, I'm under his wing, I win darkness, no darkness. If Jesus has commissioned us to care for the orphan and widow, that's what we do. We win. We don't have to to worry about anything else. The issue isn't too grand. It's not too big for our Savior to do work in, but he chooses to do work not in you leaving him, but he chooses to do work in and through you by remaining in him, through him and through, through, uh, through his spirit and through his people. This is where he wants you to work in and through. Not to void of him, not to run from him to fix an issue. That's the wrong thing. What's funny is, we look at issues on the block and we say that they're too big for Jesus to handle, right? But then when Jesus does handle something, we never give him his flowers. It was somebody's great idea. It was somebody's, while we did this. Even when you can't explain it, it ain't God. The same God who has healed pandemics in the past does similar things now. The same God who has set people's free from oppression in the past time and again can set people free from oppression in the present time. And again, it's not too big. He works in these areas, but he uses people. He uses you. He uses me who are focused on him and his power and his strength. You want to bring reform by God's power, then bring it by God's power. Use his word, his principles, his truth, his gospel to regenerate the soul of a man not just sauce. Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven says this. And remember this as you engage the streets, It says this, don't worry about anything. Y'all see that? Ha! No qualifications. Y'all see there's no, qual- don't worry about anything. But in everything, no qualifications. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you may have left the church and left Jesus because of some of these issues we see in the world but you didn't bring your petitions unto God. And if you did praise God, but the reality is most of us did not and have not and don't have a practice of doing it. You do that now and today. Lastly, it, we, Jesus gives us light of, another, of the last soil. Mark chapter 4, verse 20. This is, this is, the, this is it. <clears throat> he says in Mark chapter 4, verse 20, he says, And those like seed sown on the good ground, hear the word, again, that word here, right? Hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Now, there's an element to this passage that will come out in its cross-reference in Luke chapter 8. Look in your cross-reference sheet in the passage in Luke chapter 8. And this is akin to the reason why I had you underline the word here. In Luke 8.15, it says, but the seed... In the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold to it and by enduring produce fruit. This is the concept of endurance that needs to come out of this passage. Here's why I had you look at the word and underline the word here, because out of those first three soils, the term or the the, the tense of the word here was erased. It was past tense. You once heard something. And then you responded in a way or something was responded on, or something happened to you in a way. You heard it and then it fell away. That's a past tense. But he, all of a sudden in, in Mark chapter 4 verse 20, the word here is a verb present active indicative. It's now. It's something that you heard in the past, but it lingers on into the present. It endures. It's almost as if he's saying the ones who hear the word and abide in the word are the ones who produce fruit. Good soil is receptive soil that constantly is receiving the word of God frequently so that it can produce 30, 60, 100 fold. It's not. And this is the truth of the gospels. The same thing. It's not that you heard the gospel one time you were saved and now you're good. Is that you heard the gospel, you were redeemed, but you need to continue to hear the gospel to not believe lies, that thorns may not choke you, that stones may not hinder your root. You have to continue to hear the gospel over and over again. If you're going to impact the block, you need the gospel to inspire your soul. You don't have that. You will quit. You will burn. The passage this good soil is an enduring soil. This is a call to endurance in Jesus in his word, because life comes with all kinds of nonsense. Some of y'all have physical pain right now. You literally your bones hurt, right? You have physical ailments. That's real. That that's hard. Some of y'all have emotional problems right now, and that's real. And you need to believe the gospel in light of those things. It's not separate from those realities. Some of you have heartbreak. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of y'all have fears that may be irrational, but they're rational to you. Name it. None of that changes who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for those whom he loves. Guys, truth is not malleable. You don't and can't change truth. It's a rock. You cannot shape it in any way. You can have perspective, but your perspective doesn't determine the truth. It sheds light on the truth. It's not your truth versus my truth. What happens when my truth says your truth is a lie? Whose truth is true? The truth is what it is. Your perspective sheds light on what it was. And the truth is that Jesus reigns supreme. The truth is that you are all here to the sound of my voice created by God to give him glory. That's why you exist, is to give God the glory of his name that is due. That's why you're here. But sin has had its way with you. You've indulged in it. You've capitulated to it. You decided that you were going to do what you wanted to do despite God. You turned your back on him in some way, shape, and form. You have sinned against a holy God and God is a just God who will deal with all sin and all who have sinned against him. And because you've decided to be your own deity, you will have to face the true deity in judgment one day. That is true. The wrath of God abides on all those who have rejected his son. That is true. But the good news Something that is equally as true is that God's love was not based on your actions. That nothing you've done is able to separate you from the love of Christ Jesus if you would but repent and believe. What does that mean? Turn from your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus. For what? To make you right with God again because you spit in his face previously he saves you from your sin and the consequences thereof. He gave, Pastor Derek talked about he has sons. And he's like, if, he, if God loves us in any measure as much as he loves his own sons, he, he's like, I think I get it to a degree. Yes, y- you should. Family is a great image of God and his saving work. Jesus gave his son to redeem many sons and daughters. He gave his life that you would be saved. And that he would use you as a tool and an instrument of change in this world. That it would be cataclysmic what he does in and through his people. But he only does it by the power of his spirit. Because it's his glory that's at stake. God's wrath waits on you. It's there on top of you. But Jesus comes and he takes away God's wrath by faith, by believing in his name, not by doing good works as far as the world is concerned, not even be doing biblical good works. That does you no good. It's faith in Jesus. It's trust in the son of God. And when he saves you, he transforms you. He changes your soil from being a path of stone, a hardened path to a path that can receive the seed and the seed can germinate. He tills the ground and takes the rocks and the thorns out that mug so that the seed could do what it does in you. That's what he does. He changes you. Nothing is the same upon receiving Jesus as Lord. Everything is different. Life is different. We can't do this without him anymore. Can we confess this? You've been doing a whole lot of life by your own strength and power. And you're not even pleased with how it all came out, right? That's the real. We can be vulnerable and honest, right? You do things the way you want to do them, you mess up things all the time, and then we blame God. It's time to repent. It's time to turn from our sin and believe on Jesus. It's time to act and do things in His might and in His power and in His strength. No more yours. Go do what God has called you to do, but do so in the spirit of prayer to the glory of the son. That he gets the glory. Be strong, courageous to be vulnerable, to share, to put your hand on a brother or sister. Say, can I, can I pray for you? I see you struggling. What's really good? I'm struggling, too, man. I need, I need you to reciprocate the prayer. When we done That's strong, that's courageous. That's Christianity. You see the people on the block that got no food. We figure out and rally how to get them some grub when they, they got nothing. They need oxygen for their tank. We, we rally and figure, not because we want our names in the papers, because that's an image bearer of God and Jesus gets the glory as he sent me and he sent you to go do the work in the community so that the last name they heard and remembered was Christ Jesus, not you. You don't go heralding that. We herald the name of Jesus. We spread his seed, not ours. Pillar church, my prayer, because I'm unable to change the soils of your heart is that God would till you. Tilling is rough. Tilling can hurt. But it could lead to fruit. Hebrews 3, 5, 14 and 15 says this in your cross-reference sheet. Look okay. at it. It says, For we have become participants in Christ if, if we hold firmly until the end to the reality that we had at the start. And it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Good soil is soil that receives the word with eagerness, right? Acts 17, 11. Good soil is, is, is soil that hears the word, believes the word, and allows the word to provoke them to action. James two eighteen. Good soil is soil that endures because the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glories that are to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 18. I don't know what kind of soil these words just fell on. But let he who has ears hear, repent, believe, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Lord Jesus, I trust you and your word to do what it's supposed to do. And I apologize for none of it. And I pray that whatever was true and honorable and accurate would stick to the hearts of these people. And whatever was My human ingenuity, my thoughts, my actions will be blown away as chaff. Lord, I pray that because of your grace, you would save many souls under the sound of this, the sound of my voice, and in the power of these people. And I pray that you would use us for your glory and your glory alone, and that we would never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but that we would work like dogs to give you all the glory that is yours. You are worthy of praise, Lord God. I thank you and give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.